welcome back to another episode of the 6am Run Podcast. And if you haven't got familiar with my voice yet, my name is Mark Paisant. I am the host of this great show. And like always, this show is brought to you by 6amrun.com. Go to 6amrun.com for the best running supplements, I think, on the planet and sign up for the newsletter to find out to get 20% off of your first order. So let's get to the show. We have an absolutely good one today. We have Terry Patterson, or some people may call her the sober nutritionist, but I'll kind of let her introduce herself. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, Terry. Go ahead and introduce yourself for the world. Yes, thank you, Mark. So yes, I do have a business as the sober nutritionist, and I also identify as that's who I am today. And I also think of myself as just a, you know, I'm a functional nutritionist, I'm a sober human, and I'm also a certified This Naked Mind coach who works with people in alcohol, not really recovery, but just changing the relationship that we have with alcohol. Well, that seems like a lot there. And let's jump right into it. So as you know, we've kind of discussed this. Our audience is a lot of runners. Our audience is a lot, probably a lot of health nuts, people who want to stay healthy. But I'm sure, I don't know how many races you run. I do not want to assume anything. But most of the races I run, they always have like an alcoholic beverage available at the end of it. So there is alcohol involved, but I kind of want you to, to get into your story. Why the change? Why the sober life? What triggered that for you? What made you say, this is the direction I want to go in? Sure. Yeah. So it's fascinating to think about this wellness world and how it is really wrapped up in this alcohol-seeped culture. And for me, I was someone who always sort of identified as a wellness enthusiast, more of the nutrition component than maybe the exercise component. But as a wellness enthusiast, you know, I was doing all the things that I thought were creating the healthiest life. And yet I was still drinking a lot and more than I wanted to. And I spent a lot of years trying to moderate. You know, in our culture, we hear these messages that drink responsibly, be a normal drinker. And we have this image of us versus them, where we think of the traditional person that has a problem with alcohol as kind of that rock bottom, you know, the paper bag under the bridge. And that really isn't the face of most people who are struggling with their relationship with alcohol. And so that was my story. I was in this place where I was miserable with how much I was drinking, but all of the messaging and all of the examples that I had led me to believe I would be miserable not drinking. And so I spent a lot of time trying to moderate and that became very noisy. You know, we think if you've ever been in that moderation trap, it's really a lot of mental chatter around you know, how much did I drink? When can I drink again? What if I don't drink? Do I have alcohol in the house? Uh, what did I do when I was drinking? And it became exhausting. And one day I finally decided that I needed to just stop. And so in some ways, people sometimes look at me a little bit like a unicorn because one of the things that in the training that I have around 
changing your relationship with alcohol with this naked mind and their methodology is that science tells us that our brain doesn't really recognize forever. And yet that's what I did. I told myself I'm not drinking anymore. And I didn't because what happened in that moment was I was able to turn off all of the noise around moderation. And so then I was just able to focus on the how instead of all of the other questions that were coming up, all of the other dynamic. And that was really powerful for me. It doesn't work that way for everyone. And part of my coaching is I really meet people where they're at. But if you continue with my story, it was just about three months after I stopped drinking. And one of the things that you know, we may or may not recognize when we are drinking a lot or most days, and we don't realize how much time we're spending in the activity of drinking. And when I stopped drinking, I suddenly had all of this time and energy. And that's when I decided to follow that passion for wellness. And I went to nutrition school. And it's an interesting because I thought, oh, I found my people. Everybody here is going to be focused on alcohol-free living. And that really wasn't the case. Kind of like what you mentioned in the running world. It's not necessarily the message that comes across that this is a healthier lifestyle. And so for me, after I got out of nutrition school, was predominantly helping people in the beginning kind of take a break from sugar. And I noticed that most people were struggling with the alcohol part of sugar. You know, they would come to my programs and say, I'm good with giving up sugar for a few weeks, but don't take away my wine. And I realized that I needed some tools to share the journey that I had been on. And so that's when I found the coaching program with This Naked Mind. I certified just about three years ago. And since then, I have worked a lot in the large groups that This Naked Mind puts on different programs. And I've literally come alongside thousands of people who are working to change this relationship. And it is an incredibly fascinating place to come together and watch people go through this transformation. So that's a little bit about how I got there. And that is a really fascinating story. And I'm going to say right now, like, if you take away anything, like take away my alcohol, just don't take away my gummy bears. Like, I don't know if you, you and I will work together in the future, but but just don't take those away. I actually have a bag of them next to me. Don't tell anybody other than people listening to this. But the question I want to ask, and we have a lot of people you know, listening to this. And I don't know how to delicately ask this, but I just, I just want to ask, as I'm sure you've asked before, like, did people know these things? Like, did people know how you felt about drinking? Did they just say, oh, Terry, she just socially drinks? Like, you know, did, did anybody ever say anything to you? Did anybody have any concerns about you? Or was it kind of just, this is who she is? Yeah, it's so interesting. And I do tell this story from time to time because uh, I think the best way to illustrate it is to share that my mom said, why would you stop drinking? You don't have a problem. And I thought, whoa, have I just, you know, the amount that I'm drinking, either people don't recognize how much I drink. And I wasn't out at bars. You know, I didn't have some of those markers like a DUI or a lost job, but I literally was drinking every night, except when I would try to moderate and that would only last a couple of days. But I didn't really drink more than anyone else. 
And people close to me, like my mom, didn't even really recognize that it had gotten to a place that was dysfunctional. And and for me, I think I really would describe it as, and what I would tell people and still tell people is that alcohol just wasn't serving me. It was getting in the way of me becoming the best version of myself. And thank you for answering that. You know, for people who want to make the change, whether there is a lot of alcohol, maybe if somebody thinks they're just a social drinker, like, can you just go over what kind of changes you noticed either mentally or physically at that 30-day mark, that 60-day mark a year later? What changes did you see in yourself once you decide to become sober? Mm, That's such a great question. And I will say that it started this journey for myself. I didn't do it in any sort of formal way. So I wasn't even really tracking that. My alcohol-free date is coming up in October of this year. will be seven years. And so when I think back, you know, the first thing that really happened for me, and this is true for almost everyone, is that I started feeling my emotions again. Alcohol is super interesting because it's both a stimulant and a depressant. And one of the things it does is it numbs. They used to use alcohol as an anesthetic until in the 1970s, they declared it too dangerous. And so we know that alcohol has a capacity to numb. It numbs pain. It also numbs our emotion. You know, it turns down the nucleus ambius. And so we're not getting the same emotional response. So if you think people might choose to like, ugh, I just need a break from this situation, or I just have to turn off my brain, or I'm feeling really stressed, you know, alcohol is going to do that for you in the short term. But alcohol doesn't numb these emotions selectively. So as you might numb pain or stress or anxiety, you're also numbing joy, pleasure, happiness. And so one of the things I noticed right away was that I had a lot of anger. I should say that my husband noticed it. He's like, why are you angry all the time? And I was like, you're right. I am just feeling all my emotions bigger. But in addition to feeling that sort of, wow, what have I been doing with my life? It was just that I also noticed everything was brighter. I like to think of it as the Wizard of Oz where I was in Kansas and everything was black and white. And then as I stopped drinking and the toxins left my body and I started to recognize these emotions of joy and happiness, everything was like technicolor. And it was this place where there was a little bit of tension between I have too much time and energy to, wow, the gift is that now that I've knocked over this domino, something I never thought I could do, I didn't know how to do it. Now I can do anything. So one of the things that happened was, you know, this big emotional piece. And then this belief in myself that, wow, now the next domino can fall. And for me, that was getting more pinpoint in my nutrition and growing as somebody who wanted to continue learning. You know, I was 55 years old when I went back to nutrition school. And since then, I've started two businesses. I have a podcast. Life looks very different. First of all, congratulations on seven years coming up. Thank that you. is that's amazing. And not only 
do you kind of give guidance on becoming sober and helping people with that? You also, you know, for, for the runners out there who are looking to improve their nutrition, you also have a, a program you call the Restart Program. And I kind of want you to talk about that a little bit and what that does, who it could benefit, and what people can get out of that. Yes. So the Restart Program is a curriculum. I didn't write it, but it is almost uh, like a mini primer of the modules that I went through to train to be a functional nutritionist. And so it really is about pulling sugar out much like we do with alcohol. One of the alcohol groups that I coach in for this naked mind is called the live alcohol experiment. And so, you know, much like we do with alcohol, when we take out sugar, we get an opportunity to see the effects that it's been having. Same with alcohol. You know, when we take a break for an extended period of time and in my restart program, it's only 21 days. And so it's really astounding how much information you can gather with taking even a short break. And we start to see, you know, improvements physically. We start to see better cognition. We start to see not necessarily weight loss, but flushing fat, you know, just really having our body let go of some of that inflammation, some of those toxins. It's very similar to the alcohol-free journey or taking a break from alcohol for a time. You know, we're going to have that period of reset where our body works to come back into homeostasis. And one of the things I love about the restart curriculum that I teach is we are doing the work, but we're also, it's big on education, which I think is so important. You know, it's really part of why I think this naked mind and the methodology I share around alcohol freedom is the science. And that's what the restart program brings in as well. You know, we do a deep dive into digestion. So people understand, like, it's not just popping a bunch of supplements or it's not just eating, you know, having a cheat day once a week. There is this complex chemistry lab in our bodies that is going on in all of the systems, but particularly in digestion. And then we do a deep dive into blood sugar regulation and healthy fats. And so it really is a program that offers you know, learned information as well as additional knowledge. And we bust some of those myths along the way. And I have to say, I wish, and thank you so much for talking about sugar, because I don't think people even to this day realize, like if I had the charisma of anyone, I'd want the charisma of like big sugar back in the eighties and nineties. Like that, <laughs> I mean, to be able to, to, I don't, I don't know if brainwash is the right word, but just to have an entire population of people just thinking that sugar doesn't affect your body the way it really does. And not to go off on a tangent, but I think, you know, I remember being in college and taking my first nutrition. So this is a class actually called nutrition. Mm -hmm. Athletes had to take it. I played soccer at Clemson. And I remember specifically asking my teacher about sugar intake and asking her about what's too much, what amount of sugar we should put in our body. And I'll never forget verbatim, she said that sugar has no effect on any part of our body. And I don't think she was saying information that she thought was untrue. I just think she was regurgitating what we all thought about sugar at that point. Because at that point, you know, I was young, I was working out every day, I, I was practice every day. So I burned thousands of calories. So my sugar intake basically meant nothing. 
but I didn't change those habits as I stopped playing, as I became, you know, less and less outdoors and, you know, less and less movement in my life. And I was like, even when I thought I ate well, you know, just the high fructose corn syrup, the sugar that was just basically in anything that we ate, the rice, the carbs, the bread, all that stuff has sugar in it. And you have to take that into account when you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle. And I'll tell you what, I don't think there's any addiction for me, at least personally, that, like there is to sugar in my life. Like it's tough. It's tough to break that. So, you know, when people come to you and they say, you know, I'm active, you know, I work out every day, but I can't regulate my gut health. I just can't drop these pounds. I really just can't get fit. You know, how often is sugar brought up in, in those first few conversations? Well, yeah, you're right. It is a huge part of it. And, you know, again, it's very similar to the alcohol pieces that we sort of give sugar and we give alcohol kind of this free pass. Like it doesn't really affect us as long as you're exercising. And, you know, what's fascinating about exercise and diet or nutrition is that people often think calories in, calories out, like our bodies or are a balance scale, yeah. but they're really this complex chemistry lab. And so, you know, sugar is going to affect sleep, gut health, brain health, you know, neurotransmitters in our gut. So those feel good components, it's going to affect our mental health. It's going to affect inflammation. You know, most doctors now agree that the root of chronic disease is inflammation. And that comes from these toxins that are built into our food system. And one of the other things that's interesting about this alcohol sugar comparison is that with alcohol, we can take it out. I took it out of my diet seven years ago. And, you know, I don't have to manage all of the impact of alcohol, but with food, you know, we still have to eat. And so we're never going to remove all of the sugar from our diet. You know, food, healthy food has natural sugars in it, but we do want to pay attention to the toxic load with some of those really detrimental types of sugar, as you mentioned, like the high fructose corn syrup, you know, when our body doesn't recognize it as food, it tries to eliminate it in ways that are protective for the body, but they don't function well long-term. I know that's tough for a lot of people. And I know when you, you know, people, when they say, I want to get healthy, a lot of them just, I think you brought up a great point with the calories in, calories out, and they, I'll just live in a deficit. I'll mm -hmm. just, I'll burn a thousand calories and I'll, I won't take in more than five. You know, people start just doing the real basic way of what they believe is the healthy choice. But I think what you're doing is you're not only giving people, you know, it sounds like you're giving people options and you're giving them sober way to do things, but you're breaking it down. And I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, macros and, and counting and things like that nowadays, but I feel what you're doing is, is not only giving people options, like I said, but you're making sure they understand, you know, you can't just decrease your calories without thinking about what type of calories you're bringing in. Because it mm -hmm. seems like, you know, that seems like it is, there are different types of calories you can bring in and some are going to be, you know, more dense and be able to give you 
higher levels of energy and others are just going to give you that really, and I, I know this about sugar, it gives you that really quick high, really quick high. You feel really good. And then, but that, but that on the way, on the other side of the mountain, that crash is a crash. Yeah. And I think one of the important things to share is just that, you know, don't beat yourself up if you crave sugar from time to time, because there's really two dynamics going on. The first is from an evolutionary standpoint, we're wired to use glucose first as that fast, quick burning source of energy. And then the other thing that happens is our palates have just been hijacked. I used to work in a high school before I was coaching full-time and I would see kids come in with, you know, a frappuccino and flaming hot Cheetos and everything in our food culture, at least here in North America and in the Western world, we see super sugary, super salty, super sweet. And they have that bliss point that's been created to set up the dynamic for cravings. And so, of course, when we have sugar in our diet, we are going to crave more sugar. And so there's things you can do. We don't have to just be like, oh, I'm a slave to the gummy bears like Mark. <laughs> that, I mean, you got me. You got me. You definitely got me. <laughs> but I'm glad you mentioned something there, which I don't think enough people say it. I know people believe it is being kind to yourself and forgiving yourself. And I think that is a great segue as we kind of get back into the alcohol portion of this. In those times where you said, you know what, I'm just going to use moderation. I don't need to, you know, for me, I can use moderation. And two days later, a friend calls you and says, hey, let's go grab some drinks. And you in your head, you're saying, no, I said I wasn't going to do it but I really want to hang out with this person. And you may, I don't know if you ever called it a relapse. I don't know if you ever thought about it as a relapse, but kind of talk about how you reacted to yourself. Were you extremely mean internally to yourself? Or did you finally get to a point where you're like, you know what, this isn't terrible. Let me try again. Like talk about that part of your journey. Mm, yeah, that's so good because I often tell people in the coaching groups is that if we could shame and blame ourselves into change, no one would have a problem with alcohol. You're absolutely correct about that. Everyone beats themselves up at some point. And one of the things that I am privileged to share with the training that I have is this you know, putting down the weapons of shame and blame and picking up the weapons of self-compassion and grace. And that is so key. Science tells us from studying our emotions and from even brain waves that compassion and positive emotion is the key to lasting change. And I see this played out every day in the work that I do around helping people with their alcohol abuse disorder. And when we can stop using those weapons of blame and shame and we start to forgive ourselves, we start to use some of that grace and self-compassion and say, okay, alcohol is an addictive substance. This isn't just like a human failing. And it's not just something that I am weak. There's a lot going on when it comes to falling into this dynamic around alcohol. And I Again, for me, I think I was 
beating myself up a lot. And I think that's where I finally got to the place. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm miserable. And I was spending a lot of time with that garbage in my head, telling me that I should just be able to drink like a normal person. I should just be able to take it or leave it. Like I thought some people did. And, you know, the reality is that a lot of times people don't recognize how much other people are drinking or what their behaviors and patterns are. Some people that I work with, you know, they'll say, no one ever suspected I drank as much as I did because I would just have one drink in public and then I would go home and drink a bottle. And so there's some of that going on as well. And part of, I think, this journey that is so powerful and important is coming alongside other people that can say, oh, yeah, me too. That's what I did. Because, you know, in the throes of alcohol use disorder, there is this loneliness where we feel like we are the only ones going through this exact journey. And it just is not true. There are so many people caught in this, what we now kind of talk about as gray area drinking, where, you know, I don't have a rock bottom. I function well, but I'm drinking more than I want to. I'm building up more of a tolerance. I'm drinking for things like being lonely and I'm feeling more isolated. And so really starting to use that compassion to, this is an addictive substance. We have a lot of cultural messaging around alcohol and it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility if you want to change. I mean, it's big business. It's big, especially in this country, it's big business around the world, it's big business. And for those of you who are, are listening and, and know the CEO and founder of 6AM, Hami, and he's hosted plenty of shows, he curses more than I do, but my biggest curse word is should. Like mm-hmm. that is a word I do my best to never use. And I'm guilty of wrapping myself in that 8AM wake up call and, oh, what I should have done. I should have done this instead. I should have. And for the runners on this call, everybody knows, oh, I should have gone for that run. I should have run a mile. I should have run 10 more minutes. I should have done so many stuff, so many things. You know, I would be an advocate of eliminating that word from your life. You know, there's things we've done. There's things we will do. There's things we can do if we want to. But eliminating should really shows that compassion of what you're talking about. Should I have had that, that last drink? Well, I mean, you had it, you know, so let's move on and see what we can do about the next time or see what we can do about the next hour of our life. Oh, you know, I, I shouldn't have gone out last. Well, you did. So let's process it. Let's be kind to ourselves. Let's learn from it and let's move on. And I think from what I'm hearing from you is you kind of got to a point where something clicked for you, where you knew that should is not really going to play a part in my life anymore. I'm going to learn from my past experiences and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to teach others to do what I've done or at least be the best versions of themselves. Yeah, it is a powerful place to come to when we realize that, you know, our humanness is a gift and not a fault and that Mm. we get to keep failing forward. In fact, in the methodology that I teach around alcohol, we actually have something called the pause. 
And so we invite people who are still actively drinking and kind of stuck in that cycle of trying to stop. We actually invite them to pause and to stop trying to stop drinking, quit trying to quit. And what we do instead is we start with learning the knowledge behind how is alcohol impacting? Why is it so hard? When do I feel the urge to drink? What am I noticing? And we bring the very important tools of awareness and curiosity into this journey and we save behavior for last. And I really think that's a good sort of template for life. Let's start with awareness and curiosity and let's focus on those identity-based goals that people like James Clear talk about. How do I want to feel based on all of the emphasis being on behavior? I think that's really key. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry, for being a part of the show. And again, I want to say congratulations on your journey. I know I'm going to make an assumption, but you know what assuming does, but I'm assuming that you feel your journey is not even close to being over. Mm-hmm. And your journey includes helping others right now. So I want to give you a second to kind of, how do we get in contact with you? How do we learn about you? You know, how do we find you online? Where can people go to find your information? Yes, thank you for that. So I am thesobernutritionist.com. It's my website where you can find out about nutrition and alcohol-free coaching. I also have a podcast called The Sober Edge, which is really about inspiration for living alcohol-free. So I really interview people who have gone through this transformation and they're just so inspiring about what they've created on the other side. And that is one of my favorite places to have people connect with me. I'm also on Instagram, terry.thesobernutritionist. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run, which you can go to 6amrun.com for the best running supplements, I believe, on the planet. And sign up at 6amrun.com for a chance for 20% off of your first purchase. You can find Terry online. And I just say, I know you've said it, but I love saying it again because I think this is such a great handle. TheSoberNutritionist.com where you can find out about her restart program. You can find out a lot about her and her life before and after alcohol. Thank you so much, Terry, for being a part of the show. I wish you much success in your future. And again, congrats on the seven-year sober in October. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure. 